Let's all stand together at this time as we reverence the reading of God's Word. We're preaching through the Gospel of Mark on Sunday morning. Mark chapter 14, verse 53, in a message I call, Jesus on Trial. Jesus on Trial. And they led Jesus away to the high priest. And with him were assembled all the chief priests and the elders and the scribes. And Peter followed him afar off even into the palace of the high priest. And he sat with the servants and warmed himself at the fire. And the chief priest and all the council sought for witness against Jesus to put him to death and found none. For many bear false witness against him, but their witness agreed not together. May God bless the reading of his word today is my prayer. You may be seated. Jesus on trial. We should all pause for a moment today to consider the audacity of such a trial. As the creation tries its creator. As men set out to murder their maker. Jesus would be put on trial in two courts, three different locations. One was a religious trial conducted at the quarters of the high priest Caiaphas. These were men who had studied God, who had learned about God and were passionate in their devotion to God. They had served him daily. They gave offerings to him. They were devoted followers, highly religious men and almost... To a man, they were lost men. I say almost because at least Nicodemus was part of this number. He would have been there. Joseph of Arimathea, he would have been there. But almost completely, this high council was made up of religious but lost men. Religious unbelievers. The second courtroom was a civil court, uh, a governmental court, as Jesus would stand before both Pontius Pilate and King Herod, both of them immoral, godless, even militant unbelievers. And so we try to establish then the magnitude of this event in the light of what Jesus said in John chapter 5 and verse 24. He said, as the father raises the dead and gives life to them, even so the son gives life to whom he will. For the father judges no one, but has committed all judgment to the son. All judgment to the son. That all should honor the Son, just as they honor the Father. He who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life. And shall not come into judgment, but is passed from death unto life. And so when they put Jesus on trial. They were trying the one unto whom all judgment has been committed. And the one who ultimately would determine who lives and who dies for all eternity. Yet they had the audacity to try him. 
Uh, we play this out in a certain way because, of course, our understanding of, of God. You know, God exists in three persons with only one personality. We don't understand that. Every human being has both is, is a person and has its own unique personality. Uh, but not God. Three persons, but yet only one personality. So we have God, the Holy Spirit, the person of God that fulfills God's omnipresence. How can God be simultaneously in all uh, the different places of the world? How can he be in you and be in me too? Uh, That's the Holy Spirit. He fulfills the role of God's omniscience along with many others. We know uh, that the role of God the Father, who in that role accomplishes the concepts of God's eternally predestined purposes and plans... Uh, That's God the Father. Then there's God the Son. God the Son would take on the physical aspects of humanity to interact with mankind and ultimately would become a man by being born of a virgin's womb. So he could be in all points tempted as we are yet without sin. In this role then as God the Son, the God-man, fully man, fully God, it is to him That all judgment has been committed. God the Son. He is both our faithful high priest then. Who intercede for us. But that same intercessor is also the divine judge of all. All judgment. Jesus said. Has been committed to the Son. The eternal God. God the Son. Maker of heaven and earth. Ruler and sustainer of the universe. Judge of all. Before whom every person on this planet. Will one day stand to give an account. God the Son. Is put on trial. No wonder Jesus would say to Pilate. In John chapter 19 and verse 10. Pilate said to him. Are you not speaking to me? Do you not know that I have the power to crucify you. And power to release you? Jesus answered. He did that very rarely, as we'll see today. Jesus answered, you could have no power at all against me unless it had been given you from above. What an understatement that is. Therefore, the one who delivered me to you has the greater sin. The writer of the Hebrews gives us this, verse 12, chapter 4, verse 12. For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword piercing, even the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Lord Jesus. Jesus would give us a snapshot of humanity in Luke chapter 19 and verse 12 as he told the story of the nobleman who traveled away. He said, therefore, a certain nobleman went to a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and to return. And he called his ten servants and delivered them ten pounds and said unto them, occupy till I come. But his citizens hated him. And sent a message after him saying, we will not have this man to rule over us. Jesus on trial. The one who reads us by his word. We read all the other books, but God's word reads us. 
who knows not only what we do, but what we think about doing. The one before whom we are all naked and open, nothing hidden, nothing concealed. The one to whom we must all give an account. You know, humanity, though, has always questioned and tried to reject this role of God's sovereign judgment. You see, we love, humans do. We love, if we think of God at all, we love a message of His unconditional love and of His certain eternal salvation. If people think of God at all and like God at all, if they are in tune with God at all, they love to hear about how God loves us just as we are. How God saves us and saves us for eternity. But when it comes to His authority to make us To rule over us and to hold us accountable. Humanity is quick to cast that aside. To be honest this morning, much of humanity is out to discard God altogether. Determined to make this next generation. So when you're looking at those folks in their teenage years and down. College years and down. Largest generation in American history. This next generation, they're determined to turn into the first generation in American history who is majority atheist. That's their goal, their objective. They're writing about it. They're talking about it. They exult every time they see another percentage point inch up a little higher among this generation. Unbelievers. They're determined. Do you know this morning that even with what we see going on in America now, that if America becomes a majority atheist nation, can you imagine what it will be? No, you can't. And yes, you can. Well, we perhaps never think that. Whether it is that person who rejects God altogether, as Paul put it in Romans chapter 1, they do not like to retain God in their knowledge. They just pushed him away with the predictable results that play out in that incredible chapter, Romans 1. Whether it's that person or whether it is that person then who just rejects God's ability to rule over us. We'll not have this. I'm not going to give the authority of my life over to God to rule over me. I instead will determine what is right or what is wrong for me to do. We don't often think about it, but what we've actually done is we are by the either one of that. We make ourselves humanity, the judge of our God. We put Jesus and his word on trial. He would bring this up in Romans chapter 9 in his masterful discussion of how Israel could be lost. And he gives us an explanation for that in Romans 9, 10, and 11. And Paul brings this up. He has an interesting statement. But indeed, O man, he said, who are you to reply against God? Will the thing formed say to him who formed it, why have you made me like this? Does not the potter have power over the clay from the same lump to make one vessel for honor and another for dishonor? 
all over America this morning, there is an epidemic of people who would cry out against God, why have you made me like this? Certainly we see this in the entire transgender discussion raging across America, but on that fundamentally deeper level. Does God have the power to rule over me? Does the potter have power over the clay? I've got a couple of quick things to say to you this morning. First of all, uh, God doesn't die when men stop believing in him. And secondly, God does not cease to be sovereign when men refuse to submit to his authority and truth. We can deny that God exists. He still exists. We can deny that he's an authority. He's still an authority. But here's this intriguing passage today. Jesus on trial. Pilate was given the opportunity to rule for one moment and pass a sentence against the living Lord of the universe. He could have never done it had not God allowed it. The Jewish high court was allowed for a moment to pass a sentence against the living Lord of the universe for just a moment. Their verdict would stand for three days. And then it would be overturned. (laughs) Their verdict would be overturned by an empty tomb and a living Lord Jesus Christ. And it would stand overturned forever. Romans chapter 6 and verse 9. Knowing that Christ being raised from the dead dieth no more. Death hath no more dominion over him. Isn't that a great passage? So we have a chance for a few moments today then just to think. To try to wrap our head around that time when the creation puts the creator On trial. How could it be? Standing before a political court. Standing before the Jewish high court. The political court. Considering the political ramifications. What crime did he commit? The religious court. Impaneled and emboldened by God. To see what law of Moses had been defiled. What religious rule that God had required. What shortcoming could they find? In this one man named Jesus, worthy of death. Well, the law of Moses required that two or three witnesses give agreeing testimony. Otherwise, there could be no guilty verdict and no sentence of death. The Bible put it simply, he that despised Moses' law died without mercy under two or three witnesses. But there had to be two or three witnesses who agreed in every case. But the witnesses on that night so long ago, early that morning as they convened, even illegally, and they weren't supposed to meet in the dark. The witnesses were heard and rejected, Mark 14, 55. And the chief priests and all the councils sought for witness against Jesus to put him to death and found none. For many bear false witness against him, but their witness agreed not together. Oh, but don't miss the significance of verse 60. The high priest stood up in the midst and asked Jesus, saying, Answerest thou nothing? What is it which these witness 
against the, but he held his peace as Jesus and answered nothing. Why would Jesus be silent? Because at that moment on his trial, he had taken your place and mine. Before the law of God. There was no way that he could answer, no defense that could be given for you or me because he's taken our place. And before the law of God, we are unquestionably, undeniably guilty and without defense. The high priest, Caiaphas, then would take on the role of both judge and prosecutor so much for an unbiased judge. Are you the Christ, the Son of the blessed? Now Jesus would answer, I am. I am. And you shall see the Son of Man sitting on the right hand of power and coming in the clouds of heaven. Jesus gave them a confession. He confessed. It was a confession of absolute truth. And he also pointed out to them that all of them would see and stand before the throne to be judged by him. In fact, some of the translations have the word henceforth in there. Some of the modern translations actually read from now on. So that Jesus would say, I am. And from now on, you will see the Son of Man sitting on the right hand of power. You get this moment. You've got this chance. But yes, I am the Christ. Yes, I am the Messiah. And from henceforth, though I'll be back on the throne. That's what he was saying. And even more, on that glorious day when he returns to this earth, the same way he left. He left out in the clouds. He's coming back in the clouds. And when you come back in the clouds, then Jesus said, every eye, will see me, and those will be the ones. They'll look upon him, Isaiah said, whom they have pierced. Well, when they heard Jesus confess this, make that confession, that was all they needed. We know how this operates. You can appear in a, in a, in a court and plead not guilty, and yet if you have two or three eyewitnesses who testify against you, then on that testimony of the eyewitnesses who would testify, you can be convicted. But what if you confess? Well, Jesus confessed. What did he confess to? He, he confessed to being the Christ, the Son of the living God. He confessed to being the one before whom all of these people would one day stand and the one that was going to come back in this earth and they'd all see him come back in his glory. That's what he confessed to. Quite a confession. How did they respond? The high priest rent his clothes, verse 63. He says, what need we any further witness? You've heard this blasphemy. What think you? And they all condemned him to be guilty of death. They all. That's kind of what makes me wonder if they didn't bother to call Joseph and Nicodemus or anybody else that they might, knew might even be sympathetic. 
Whoever was there in that Jewish high council, they all heard that confession. They all said, this is blasphemy. Jesus, you see, had every right to defend himself against the false witnesses and false charges that he had violated the law because he had not. It wasn't necessary for him to do so because they couldn't even find anybody who could lie good enough to agree. Tells you a little bit about what was going on that night. That he could have certainly defended himself had he chosen to. But, of course, remember, he's standing in our place. There was no defense. In his case, he had every right to defend himself against the charge of blasphemy. All he had to do was kind of reproduce what had happened on the Mount of Transfiguration, change in an instant to his glory, turn the angels loose who were no doubt staring over the battlements of heaven waiting for the order that never came. He could have ushered in Armageddon on the spot. Blasphemy? No. (laughs) I am the Son of God. I am the one who is coming and will establish my glory. Yes, he could have proven himself innocent of blasphemy. It wasn't blasphemy for him to say that he was the Son of God. He is. He was. Telling the truth. But he did none of those things because he was taking our place. Simon Peter would later put it this way, an eyewitness to the whole thing. Christ also suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust. That he might bring us, us, to God. Being put to death in the flesh, but made alive by the Spirit. This was where then Jesus stood before the law, the law of Moses, Then we'll see for a few moments his trial before Pilate. Where before the law of God, Jesus assumed our guilt as he offered no defense. And the just died for the unjust. But what about the trial before the civil authorities? There he would be charged not with blasphemy, but he would be charged with treason. Chapter 15, verse 1. And straightway in the morning, the chief priest held a consultation with the elders and scribes and the whole council and bound Jesus And carried him away and delivered him to Pilate. And Pilate asked him, Art thou the king of the Jews? And he answering said unto them, Thou sayest it. And the chief priest accused him of many things, but he answered nothing. And Pilate asked him again, saying, Answerest thou nothing? Behold how many things they witness against thee. But Jesus yet answered nothing, so that Pilate marveled. Once again, Jesus made a confession. Are you the king of the Jews? You say it. By the way, that was the same thing he had said to Judas just a few hours before. Is it I? (laughs) Yeah, thou sayest it. Speaking against Rome, claiming to be a king, but the kind of king that his own armies didn't even bother to fight for. Speaking maybe against the Roman taxation system, which he did not. We know what he said. Render unto Caesar the things that are Caesar and the God, things that are God. But even if he had been guilty, it might deserve a flogging, public humiliation, but not execution. That's what Pilate said. Luke chapter 23, verse 4, Pilate to the chief priest and to the people said, I find no fault in this man. Uh, Luke 23, 13, and Pilate, when he had called together the chief priests and the rulers and the people, said unto them, you brought this man unto me as one that perverted the people, and behold, I've examined him before you. 
and have found no fault in this man, touching those things whereof you accuse him of twice. No fault. No, nor yet Herod, for I sent you to him, and lo, nothing worthy of death is done unto him. I will therefore chastise him and release him. He could get a good flogging, maybe. If he spoke against Rome, if he claimed to be a king, that's nothing to kill him for. No insurrection here, no soldiers fighting, nothing, no rebellion, nothing. I'll chastise him and let him go. Mark gives us then one last message just so we had noticed for sure what was happening when Jesus was put on trial. Verse 6. Now at the feast he released unto them one prisoner, whomsoever they desired, and there was one named Barabbas, which lay bound with them that had made insurrection with him, who had committed murder in the insurrection. And the multitude, crying aloud, began to desire him to do as he had ever unto them, and so he ended up releasing Barabbas, as we know the story. And Jesus was sentenced to be crucified. Don't miss it. Barabbas had committed murder. And as a murderer, he stood condemned by the law of God that said that whosoever sheddeth man's blood by man shall his blood be shed. He was guilty of murder. He was condemned by the law of God to die. He was also guilty of treason because he had led an insurrection against the Roman government. So he was guilty of treason, and treason then and now is a capital offense. Jesus was not guilty, faultless, by man's law and by God's law. Barabbas, Barabbas was guilty of both. Jesus had done nothing worthy of death. And just so we didn't miss the significance of Jesus' own trial and why it was all allowed to happen, God saw to it that we had a living object lesson with Barabbas. The guilty went free. And the guiltless was crucified. Jesus, you see, did not die for his own sins he died for mine he was not sentenced to die because he had done anything wrong worthy of death by the state no that verdict was no fault he did not die because they, he was guilty of blasphemy the only people guilty of blasphemy that day were the people who accused Jesus and who put a hood on his head and began to beat him and spit on him and mock him and laugh at him they were guilty of blasphemy not Jesus everything Jesus said was the truth he would die for his own confession both of which were true he was indeed the Messiah he was indeed king of the Jews the guiltless was crucified 
but the guilty go free. It's no wonder then that salvation comes only to those who bow before Jesus Christ and admit, confess our guilt. Salvation comes only to those who are self-condemned. Jesus was modeling how salvation comes to us. He died on his own confession. Next week we'll see the sign that was put over his head. The crime for which he was crucified. King of the Jews. That was his own confession. For the Jewish court. Who accused him of blasphemy before the Gentile court. Who ultimately crucified him for treason. Though even Pilate admitted it was a false accusation. But when Jesus was judged to be guilty, a glorious transaction takes place for those who believe on him. Romans chapter 5 and verse 1. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. You know what it means to be justified? It means to be declared not guilty according to law. How are you and I then declared not guilty according to law? We are justified, Romans 5, 1, by faith. Because you see, when Jesus was put on trial that day, he was put on trial uh, for any in, infraction, any infraction of the law, any sin against the law of God, there was none. It was not your, his sin then that, for which he was judged to be guilty. It was my sin and yours. The reason then that those who trust in Jesus Christ have peace with God is not because there is nothing that could be charged against us. Boy, we could all say amen to that one. Instead, you listen, it is that our sins, which were many, were charged against Jesus Christ. And he took them. And having been charged against him, they can never, never, never be charged against us. Why? Because they were charged against Jesus, and Jesus paid the full price penalty for your sins and mine. The law demanded that death must be paid. And that price of death has been eternally paid by Jesus Christ so that there is nothing left for us to pay. How then does this come to us? Surely there must be some incredible price. Surely there must be something, some act, something, some way. What is it that God requires of us? In order for that payment of Jesus Christ to be declared to my life. Therefore being justified by what? Faith. F-A-I-T-H. Faith. What do you do? You believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. It is to trust Him. That simple choice, then, is still being put before humanity today. We either trust Jesus or we try him. 
We either believe on him or we stand with his accusers and count him worthy of his own death. We either confess him or we condemn him. We either bow before him or we say, as Jesus said in the Gospel of Luke so long ago, we will not have this man to rule over us. I'll be the master of my fate. I'll be the captain of my soul. I'll determine what I'll do. Nobody, nobody will rule over me. We either crown him. Are we crucified? Got a simple question for you this morning. Which side of that on your, uh, which side of that are you on? Uh, you're, you're not here in this building by, by just accident or by happenstance. You're, you're here today by divine design. You didn't know what you was getting into, especially you visitors that are here today. But God knew. God knew there'd be an old man who'd look you in the eye as much of your eyes as I can see and tell you. You're on one side of this or the other. We either trust him or we try him. We either crown him and bow before him, knowing that on that day so long ago, he was taking my place because I was the one who was guilty. But if you'll believe on the Lord Jesus Christ today where you sit, how do you do that? Well, Paul said in the book of Romans that if you believe in your heart and you confess it with your mouth, for whosoever, Romans 10, 13, shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. It's not with your blood-pumping muscle that I call upon you to believe today I just preached on this all week it's that spiritual heart the place where our desires come together with our feelings and our beliefs to determine the direction and course of our life it is there the Bible says believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead you'll be saved for with the heart man believes unto righteousness and with the mouth confession is made to salvation I can't see your heart today but I can hear what comes out of your mouth. Is that time when we call upon the Lord? Yes, we confess, I'm guilty. The one who should have been on trial that day was me. The one who was condemned that day really was me. The one who deserves the full weight of the punishment of the judgment of a righteous and holy God because God said, Thou shalt not. And I did. And still do. Way too much. I deserve it. But Jesus paid the price. The only then hope that I have is to cling to the cross of Jesus Christ. Have you done that? Have you trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior?